Welcome to The Open Door with Kelly and Kelly, brought to you by Collective Creations and Legendary Luminar. Each week, join us for discussions on spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical health with guests from all walks of life. We invite you to connect. Ever since I could hold a pen, I've written stories and poems, and I'll write till my dying day. Today on the show, we welcome Hannah Byron, the pen name of Hannah Ferguson. Born in Paris, France in 1956, Hannah is of British, Irish, and Dutch descent. She now lives in the Netherlands. Byron became a published author in 2012 and published seven books under her own name. After a forced break from writing because of family issues, she made her comeback in the fall of 2020 as a historical fiction author focusing on the world wars. What started out as a general interest in the biggest war humanity ever endured became a passion and a drive. Byron herself is an indirect consequence of D-Day. Her uncle Tom landed on the beaches of Normandy and helped to liberate Holland. In 1949, her British mother traveled to southwest Holland where she met Byron's Dutch father. Studying World War II documents and listening to stories of children of active participants in the war, Byron made it her fictional duty to give a voice to those heroes and heroines who stood up against Nazism. After the war, these ordinary people resumed their lives and never spoke of their heroic acts. Let future generations hear their stories and understand the devastating impact of war. Resistance women are at the core of Byron's books. She pays tribute to a generation of women who kindled the women's lib movement, got dirty in overalls, flew planes, and did intelligence work. Today's strong women stand on the shoulders of their great-grandmothers. Byron's heroines fight for freedom, equality, and love. Well, welcome, Hannah, to our show today. I am so excited to have you on. You and I were chatting a bit before we started recording, and we were figuring it's been about 10 or 11 years that we've sort of known each other on social media, not really too much about each other's lives, but I we follow each other's posts, and, and you've known me as my pen name, Kelly Cameron, most of the time, and you are your pen name is Hannah Byron, and... So I'm just excited to have you on the show because I know I watch your Instagram. Your Instagram feed is very funny <laughs> and I like your posts. So you're just, yeah, it's wonderful to see you active on social media and publishing your books. And I'm so pleased to have you here today. Yeah, thank you, Kelly. Yeah, I, I was really looking forward to this podcast and talk with you. I mean, it's always nice when you have sort of known each other, but you haven't had the opportunity to sit down with each other and talk. I think that is really nice. So thank you for inviting me. And uh, I'm looking forward to your questions. Oh, well, it's nice. It is nice nowadays with the the Zoom platform or other social like platforms where you can actually talk sort of face to face from other parts of the world because you're in the Netherlands, correct? Yes, yes. I'm on the other side of the Great Pond. Yeah. And um, I am very European. I mean, I was born in, in Paris, in France, but I have a British mum and a Dutch dad. So um, these three countries, um, Great Britain, also Ireland, because I also have Irish blood, and France and the Netherlands, they are sort of my triangle that I always sort of come back to. <laughs> and my books, <laughs> often. Yeah, yeah. So your books are 
uh, set in, well, the first one, it's, there's an entire series, the Resistance Girls series, correct? And the first one you have is based in World War One, And I haven't read that one, but I am currently reading uh, the, th- is it the third or the fourth now? Is it the, the Norwegian Assassin? That's the fourth, right? That's the fourth one. And I have to say, I feel transported to another time and place when I'm reading it. And I really feel like I'm a part of the main character's life and her thoughts and what she's thinking. And, and I'm just loving it. And I, I, like I said to you before that I wish I'd had more time to be able to finish it before today, but I will finish it. It's very good. So I really recommend it. And it's, I can feel the tension in her character. And so why did you choose to write about this particular time in history? So um, I was, I when I was sure that I wanted to write historical fiction, I wasn't, at first I wasn't really sure which period I would choose. I was thinking about the 19th century and there is nothing that will stop me after this series is done to, to write some Gothic <laughs> stories from the end of the 19th century because I love those as well. But um it was it was sort of accidental. I was um so my mother passed away in 2017. I was going through her stuff and I had this photograph. I'm see if I have it here. Yeah, I have it here. I don't know if the if you could see it. So this photograph fell out of, of her out of an envelope and it had two names on the back, and I had it said something with uncle, but there was also a question mark. Now, my mum was very demented towards the end of her life, so I couldn't really figure out what it was, but it was clear that one of them was in a, in a First World War uniform. So I did a lot of digging. I found out that it were two great uncles of mine. One had died in the trench wars in the Somme, and one had died aboard a ship that was torpedoed so I went I I was intrigued by this story and um, I went for research on the spot in the north of France and then I knew for sure that I wanted to write this book but I I already knew that I wanted to write about a second world war so I thought if I set up because my books also have a lot of romance if I set up two couples that have daughters, then these daughters can be resistance girls in the Second World War. So these are the two books that you didn't read. So the second book, Excellent. The Diamond Courier, is a daughter of one couple. And the third book, The Parisian Spy, is the other daughter of the other couple. Oh, and Esther is the girl that they, the, the main hub of my books is that all the girls meet at a finishing school in Switzerland before the war. So in 1938, 1939. And that is actually the only overlap because they're standalone books. So you can read them separately. Even the first one, the prequel, can be read separately. But um, yeah, the, the Second World War is my main focus and f- will be for a, for a while. When I, I, I thought, would I like... And it is very bad to say that you like a, a war scene, but it is an an incredible canvas to have your characters go through something, you know, something. So basically ordinary people 
can do extraordinary things during a war. And for an author, that isn't that is such high stakes. So this can I see it as a canvas. It's terrible to say that you use a war as a canvas, but it is a little bit that, yeah. Um, this sort of ringer that your your characters go through is is that period gives you that possibility. And I'm also I'm I'm fascinated by the Second World War. Of course, I always say I'm an indirect <laughs> product of it myself because my uncle Tom landed with the on the beaches of Normandy in in um, on D Day. And he came to liberate Holland. And um, so after the war, my mother, uh, he kept in touch with the people he had come to know here. My mum came here. And this was 1949 that she came here for the first time. And at the time, this is a really rural part of Holland. You wouldn't imagine it because there are so many people living in Holland, but you have some rural areas still. And nobody spoke English at the time. So this 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 young um, fr- student of French, my mum studied French in Manchester, and she just took her bike across from Dover and cycled up the, the Belgian coast and came to Holland. And so they didn't know what to do with this girl that only spoke English. So they rounded up the local intellectual, being my father. So that's <laughs> how my parents met. And um, so I always say I'm I'm an indirect um, result. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, we all have our, our fascinations in, in life. I, I, I still haven't probed exactly what it is, but I'm so taken by this period. I, 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 I hear it a lot about the Norwegian assassin that people say, well, it comes so alive. I'm actually thinking of I'm I'm in the in the process of of retiring from the day job now and and writing full time. I'm actually thinking of taking a degree in um Second World War history because it is like something for me it is like it's just not even 100 years ago and it has changed life so incredibly and especially for women because my focus is, is on strong women. That's why it's called the Resistance Girls series, because I want to, to show that that was the period that women really started with their liberation. And, and we today live on their shoulders, you know, because of what they they started. And um, I like the fashion. I like, yeah, I like everything about it. I like reading about that too. Like that's what really drew me in is your ability to paint a picture about not only what the characters are are feeling, thinking, but also their clothing, where they're living. It's, I love it when an author can sort of pull me into that place where I feel like I'm living it or where it's like a movie to me. It's not just words on a page. And that's how I felt when I started it. And I, I, like I said, I really want to want to keep going. And that was one thing that I was, I was talking to my partner too, about um, Kelly, who's not on the podcast today. I was telling him that I thought this is really interesting because this is a part of our history. That's not really that far away. You know, I, have read a lot of historical romances, but they're set in, you know, 17, 1600s, you know, things like that. So you sort of feel like that that's a little further away, but this is something that's not even a hundred years away. And Mm -hmm. I was thinking, wow, that 
even in that time, like in the 30s, there were women going to finishing school who had these, and that, that sort of blew me away because I thought, oh, that's not that long ago that we mm. that we did that. And I think he was saying that in Europe, I think there might be still some of those schools open. I don't, I'm not sure, but I thought, wow, that's fascinating to me that that it's something that I hadn't thought of either that with the more like elite of society, that that's what they were trained to do. They were trained to be good wives, good hostesses, like how to run a household. And I just thought, wow, that's, that's not that long ago. So no, that's true. That's true. And um, yeah, I, I, I myself come from a family. I mean, my mum was already, um, pushed by my grandmother to to go for a degree um, just after the Second World War um, because my my grandmother herself would have loved to to go to 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 college or to become someone and I think that is that is exactly what I also want to portray in these girls that they they become professionals in a way you know they 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 break free from this corset of having to what they are expected to do. I like that. And also one one other main reason to write about this period is because the people who lived through it, and there are very few left at this period in time, Mm -hmm. 2022, they didn't talk about their experiences after the war. It was over. They had to rebuild their lives and many didn't speak of the of the things they did and i want to give them a voice although it's a fictional voice i want to tell these stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things i mean a lot did wrong things but there were just simple people who who you know found the courage within themselves to do this and i want to give them a voice and i get so many letters from readers to say yeah, I wish I had talked to my mother. I wish I had talked to my grandfather. They never talked. And it's too late now, but your books at least give them some voice. So that is what I did also with the, the Norwegian assassin. That I mean, the Norwegian resistance movement has changed World War II, but we don't know about it. Most of these books were never translated into English. We, it's not, I mean, the focus is always on, on France or on, you know, um, America or on England, but never on these countries. And I also have the idea that I would like to, to write more, you know, in the about books about, and I like to study that, that period as well, what happened. So it's a lot of research, but I love to do that as well. That's that's fascinating. And I love that you're doing that. You're you're looking into aspects of it that people don't know about. Because as you said that, that people don't really know about Norway's role in it. Like for myself, I I probably wouldn't because the people who write what goes in our history books or what we learn about World War One or World War Two. There's so much that we don't know about other countries that participated and how that they did it. And I know I was just thinking when you were you were speaking that my daughters and I once went to a museum that we have here in Manitoba in Canada. It's the Human Rights Museum. It was a few years ago when it first opened, but we walked through and there are so many wars that were fought and and battles in different places. And things that we didn't know about because it doesn't, you know, it's not big enough or 
you know, whoever are important enough or something to get in the history books, but because they are, you, they have um, Polish and Ukrainian heritage. So we went through and there were a lot of wars in Ukraine and Poland that, that they didn't, we didn't know about. So they got to learn about where some of their ancestors came from and what happened over there and just how, you know, that ancestral memory too can, can carry forward or just things that you don't know about yourself because somebody deems it you know, unnecessary to learn about, but there's. So yeah, many, and it, it's, you know? yeah, it's even worse, worse than that. Most of the history books, especially directly after the, the second world war to keep talking about that period yes. were written by well-educated white men, mm. but they didn't focus on the women, they didn't focus on the minorities, so it gives That's us hard, a very yeah. blurred. So I, I, I see it as my task as well to, you know, to unveil other asp- aspects of what happened yes. if I can, because there were so many other stories that will never. It's not just because they w- they weren't important. It is just the choice of the historians. Exactly, and that's yeah. also why I, you probably saw at the beginning that I have a note for historians. I try to take the wind out of their sails at the start because I already have them in the reviews. You know, bashing me and saying, "Oh, this is," and it, they're not right because I do other research. I try to find you know, um, documentation that says otherwise. It's difficult to find because it wasn't written down. Yeah. There were deliberate choices also from their perspective. I mean, they didn't think they did anything wrong. But um, yeah. Yeah. And there's different perspectives. Like I was reading a few months ago an article about a female group like a squadron group like they they flew planes and they did something specific and right now I can't remember exactly what that was but I thought that's the first time that I ever heard that that they had done something like that because I think women especially were portrayed as medics or you know things like that but not as pilots or having other jobs and they did a lot of that's my task to do that that's why in 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 Picardy's fields it is a female surgeon who co- goes to the front and not a nurse. Yeah, We have plenty of stories of nurses, but I wanted to have a, I mean, there was no evidence. There were female surgeons, because we're now talking about 1918. Right. There were female surgeons, but not at the front lines. Um, they were working in the hospitals in, in England and in Paris. And, and, and but, um, So that is the liberty I take as a, as a historical fiction fiction author and not a historian to say I will put in a female surgeon they were there were surgeons just not there but um yeah I I I tried to break rules in that respect and but I always you know I I put that in my author notes that that is a liberty I take yeah I think that's excellent. I think it's excellent to give another point of view a point of view that there is I I have a um a two weekly 
discussion group on on this is on on Clubhouse that is an other social media center in my historical fiction lovers group and we always discuss how as historical fiction or historical romance authors how we have a task of making more inclusive stories and you know digging deep into our research because we I mean we don't want to write no offense but Georgette Hayes' romances, you know, it, it has to to reflect the. I mean, everything existed always, so it always was there as well. It was just not talked about, right? So, are all of these books like I see that you've got books coming out? You have them planned for another one planned for later this year, and then another one in twenty twenty three or two in in twenty twenty three. So, are you self published or have you? Yeah. So, yeah. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about your journey with that? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I I came back as a historical fiction author in twenty twenty. I started preparing in, in 2019 with a, an intense learning curve on how to do it as an as an independent author. We say indie author, but it's independent. It means that you don't have an agent, you don't have a publishing company. I think you are an indie author as well, aren't you? Well, I, yeah, we're planning on it. I, I'm a small publishing houses. That's who I've been yeah. published with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, before I, when I was, a, you know, I, I, I published my first book in 2012. And then I was with a small indie publishing firm, but I decided to do it all myself this time. And um yeah, that means that apart from the writing, you you have to do all the um, the formatting, the the uploading on Amazon, the marketing, to be on all the social media, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it sometimes means that you you're busy so much with all the other aspects outside of writing. Yes, that um, you you just don't. There are not enough hours in the day, so to say, and that sometimes because. I feel that um, writing for me is very much a sort of uh, meditative state. It is um, when you have a talk about, (laughs) when you would consider it in um, uh, brainwaves, you're at a slower brainwave. And when I do the marketing or when I have to be really sharp at that is really sort of the, 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 the high beta um activity and I do have difficulty switching between the two. I still have that. It it it, it interferes with my writing, doing everything. But the, the thing is when you I've trained myself to do everything now, also the um the advertisement, so the the, the Facebook ads. And when I can uh, outsource things, I know exactly what has to be done. So I'm actually outsourcing my um, Instagram platform now. I provide the material, but I have somebody who's going to sort of make that look pretty. And I don't, I just have to to, to um, interact with the people there, but I don't have to post anymore. Oh, okay. But um, yeah, it, I, I must say that in the course of last year, so 2021, I did contact one publishing house. I was turned down. 
And because I was thinking it is too much. It's just so much. I make like 60, 80 hours a week sometimes, you know. And um, as I say, I have difficulty getting into writing and I keep doing all the other things. And so I don't say never, but I feel like it is also such a place of power where you come from when you do it all yourself and when you see that it works and you don't have to share your royalties with anyone else. That's very true. Very true. But I might, I mean, I turned 66 in a couple of months and I don't know how long I, long I can do this. There might be a point when I'm like, say, 95 that I say <laughs> okay let me do, just time. do the writing you know let me just do the writing I'm not, yeah. because I actually like I'm, I'm strange but I like the marketing I like it well that's good I mean there because there are certain things it's a different kind of creativity when you're writing like you said you can get into a zone and I understand what that's like when I'm writing, it's like I'm very, very focused and that's all that I'm I'm just immersed in it. And then when you've got to create posts or even the mark, like you said, the marketing thing, it's a different kind of creativity, though. You get into a different kind of zone with that. And I think for me, that's not difficult, but it it does take away, not take away. I don't know how to put that, but it's just a very different space to be in, I think. And if you yeah. like both and you can do both, that's great. Because I think yeah. that's something that I've always struggled a little bit with is the marketing part, because yeah. just the, the way that's it's not really my my creativity way. But and I no, love it. It wasn't, it wasn't for me either. But um, it, well, yeah, it's just I have the this system. Like every Saturday, I write a blog post. Every Sunday, my my newsletter goes out, and it is a lot of work. I mean, that is a couple of hours in my weekend that I'm working and then for instance if I write my blog posts maybe 13 people come on my website to read it and I think what is it I mean is it worth all my time but it's in my routine now and I think I I believe that consistency in in the indie market is is very important and I'm very consistent so with the with the books, I, I only planned to write four. So this was going to be the last book. But it suddenly became after the third book, because the first two books didn't do very much. And the third book came out in July last year. And then suddenly I saw an uptake. And readers were, were really asking for more. So that's when I decided to to tie in three more girls in the um, finishing school period. So these three girls are going to have their own story now. And I might even add more because as long as the series works, I mean, when there is an eagerness to read the books, why not? I mean, it's not a it's not a punishment for me to write them. Yeah. Yeah. Legendary Living Arts offers Qigong and Bagua classes Wednesday at noon and Thursday evenings beginning at 5 on the Zoom platform in Central Standard Time. Or access our online learning library on Udemy. Revitalize, regenerate, and rejuvenate. Connect within and heal your body from the inside out. 
check out our services at legendarylivingarts.ca. Well, I love your book covers as well. They're they're beautifully done. Do you do that do you, yourself or have or do you have a cover no. artist? No, I have a, a Canadian cover designer. Oh. Um, I was given his name by a, a, a writing coach I had in 2019. And um, so it's called ebook launch. Uh, they're not specifically for historical fiction, not at all. Uh, they do everything, mostly contemporary and, and thrillers and stuff like that. And um, yeah, the first cover they made for me that I really liked it I mean after a lot of discussion the first now it's going a lot faster because they have the font and they have the the the, the you know my ideas are quite clear now what I want in them right. so yeah I, I get so many compliments I always tell them I try to to drop their name as well uh, because I'm really happy with them and that, yeah, and they do a great job. They're, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the thing that, that can attract a reader to a book, right? Is a really nice cover. You know, we always yeah. have to say, don't judge a book by its cover. But a lot of people, you know, you want to have something that's eye-catching, you know, something. Yeah, but on the, on the one hand, yeah. um, the one thing that I would say that is probably not completely spot on marketing-wise is that it, is not may not be completely clear that it is Second World War. So it looks more like women fiction, maybe. Oh, okay. Um, but um, as as you know, more books come out, it, it's it's working. So I'm not wor- too worried about it. But it could have had a, maybe a little bit more. But I I'm happy with it. Don't complain. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Well, and sometimes with the launch of a first book, like even though you have a series that it takes a little while to build a readership. Right. And then once you get that third, fourth, then people will go back and go, oh, wait, I want to read the rest. And, you know, it's and like you said, it sounds like you have great discipline and you're very consistent. And that's really what it takes to be an author. Right. Yeah. Is that consistency of writing. And I know for me personally, in the last couple of years, just with some of the health issues I had, that was I had to kind of let go of the way I used to do things because I just couldn't do them that way anymore. And I'm learning how to build that up again in a different way for myself. So it sounds like you've really found your groove in everything and being consistent with how you do things. To, to some extent, progress. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I struggle with every new book. I have a great struggle with um, the new book because I'm very invested in the character. I'm very invested. I was very invested in, in Esther. So she was, uh, she for the, went for the last round to my team, to my ARC team. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it was published on the, on the 8th of February. So it's only been two weeks that she's really out there and I can really focus on the next book. But, I mean, it was with my editor in in November already because I did a developmental edit as well. So it, the story has been on paper since the, the, the end of, of October. 
But we're now halfway in February and I'm still struggling to get into Sable's character because I really go inside the character. Um, I I do a lot of research on who they are, what their trouble, researching myself. I try to really visualize this, um, this person. And I'm just, so in that respect, I do have a lot of, I mean, everything is is going and I do everything every day, but I'm not still struggling with my writing part. That is, um, yeah, it it, it leans towards writer's block every time at the beginning of the book. Well, that that can happen because like I, I understand that because I get really into my characters, especially the female characters where I feel like I become them almost for that period of time that I'm writing the book. Every time I open it up, I, I become them. And I think that's, you know, sort of part of my, my process that I I can't move on to another part of the book until I've figured out, okay, who, who is this person at this moment and where do we need to go next? And so sometimes that can be a little bit of a block for me until I, because I am so, it's almost like I am them. They are me, you know, you become one. And then when you're finished the book and you put it out into the world, then you're supposed to let go of them. (laughs) Like they don't matter anymore. And I think that's hard because I know even with some of the other books that I have out there, especially one of the first books that I wrote was because I'm a former gymnastics coach. So I have a series of books that three that had to do with gymnastics coaches. And the first one that I wrote, the first time it was published by one publisher, it didn't really, the female character didn't really get good reviews, but they loved the male character. And then that publishing house closed. I got the rights back and then another publishing house retook the series. So I had them all redone. And I realized what I had done with her was I hadn't really developed her enough because I hadn't really known myself. Like I was giving her an issue that she had that I had, but I hadn't worked through it enough yet to really get her. And I realized that was her problem in the book. So I worked through that more in detail and gave her some more. And then my editor was just in love with her because it was like, oh, she's like this and she's working through this. And it it was much more clear the first time around it wasn't. So I was really happy that I got a second chance to give her like her real story. So that was, you know, that worked out good. Yeah. 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 I agree. That's why I never consider republishing my earlier work. I mean, I brought out about seven or eight books before and um, I just took them down, and I see them as 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 people say, why don't you republish them? But yeah. I think they they were, from my point of view, they were immature still. And like I think you're saying it in a very correct way. They had an issue, and they but it wasn't. I feel it different now. The the characters that I put out there, I don't think there are so much. So much part of me. What mm-hmm. people say about my writing is that I, I consider myself a reporter-like writing. So okay. I, I analyze. I, I write down what I see in a scene, including the main character. So I'm not her, but I want to 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 have a really complete person. So I have to get to know that person. Through my, um, I use a sort of psychoanalysis 
Okay. To, to get to, so I have a, a, a an outside idea of the person, but what is really going on? What is what is her back history? But it's not me, and that's that's what people say about my work. I don't though. I, I use um, third person um, specific, so I write from the point of view of that person, but in third person. It's not me. I'm I'm reporting you know what she's doing and what she's feeling and and so i think that is the that is that i really start to create a totally new person and that takes time it does yeah so how do you get over that block like you're saying it's kind of a block for you a little bit when you finish one book and then you got to move on to the second one do you have a process it's not a nice period i don't know whether i just have to accept it and it is what i said earlier because I like the marketing so much and there is always so much to do, I can yeah. easily fill my entire day, you know, yeah, um, doing all these these stuff, these online stuff. And of course it 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 it, it generates money. So it seems like a, a wise thing to do. Yeah. yeah. But of course, writing more books makes well, to tell you the truth, I I was so fed up with myself because I just crank out like two, three, four hundred words a day. I've tried everything. First time in the morning, go to my computer, no other things, just write. I was so fed up with myself yesterday because it it sort of what I found out in the in the depths of my despair when I was going through all my my family stuff a couple of years ago, what I found out is that writing is sanity for me. So if I can't write, I am not happy. I am happiest in my life when I can write, when I can write. So when this inner critic or whatever it is that blocks me, when it's not there and I'm in the flow, I know no other feeling that makes me so blissfully happy as doing that and it's got nothing to do with selling my books or with you know it is it is the the being a co-creator feeling this great source coming through me and helping me write this this story that makes me incredibly happy when I found that out I knew that this was what I wanted to devote my life to so that I yeah. There is a blockage. So I was, I did a course with Margie Lawson two years ago. Have you heard of her? I have. I met her once at a conference. You actually. did? Yeah. It was quite a few years ago now, but yeah, she was, before I had a, had a pen name, she actually liked my last name, Winsonowich. She said, oh, that's, that's great. You should use that. And I thought, really? Aren't because no one can spell it and everyone looks at it and doesn't have a clue how to you know say it. So I never didn't use it, but I might use it in the future for for the new yeah. stuff I'm writing. But yes, I have met her and I, I hear okay. that her workshop. Yeah, she's great. most known in 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 writers circles for her craft, uh, excellent craft courses. Yeah. But I was uh, I got a, I'm on her newsletter and I got a newsletter and actually on my walk I what I one of the things I do every day is I go for a walk and I don't do any listening to music or to books anymore I just walk 
and I always get some idea. And I was that was actually when I came home, I saw the, the email. So I was thinking, okay, Margie, Margie, maybe she has something on writer's block, on on you know, this self-sabotage would. And she did. And that's for her, it's only $22. So it's not very expensive. So I downloaded that yesterday. I haven't had time to really start it because I had to buy a nice diary because she wanted to not so much to keep a diary. She wants to do you to do bullet um, points. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll get myself. So here it is. I got myself a really nice pink. Oh, I love so I'll start probably because it's evening here already. I'll start tomorrow. And I have good hope that um, she, because she's a psychologist as well, mm -hmm. that she might give me some tips on how to, um, you know, uh, get back in the zone. One of the terrible things that helps me in the zone is a deadline, but I don't like it, you know. <laughs> Yeah. But sometimes I, I do that too, where I give myself deadlines just because it helps me have that focus too. Cause if I don't have one, then I'm sort of like, well, maybe I'll do it later. Or, you know, sometimes, so sometimes I, I have to work at it a little bit more to do yeah. that. Well, I have a deadline that I, I have to send it to my editor at the beginning of July, but that seems a long time away you know so I know it has to be ready by the first of, of May so and I write like 120k books so yeah. this is not going anywhere I mean I need to to write at least 1500 2000 words a day and there is no reason I can't I can easily do that it's just that it's usually the beginning of the book Everybody has, other people have difficulties in the middle of the book or to, to finish right. it. And I have difficulties. I, I just can't get going. I mean, I can't, I, I don't see exactly how I can get her to the action part of the book. As soon as we're there, I'm happy. You'll be good. Oh, I have no doubt that you will figure it out. I have no doubt that you will figure it out. No, I ha I have dedicated my life to 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 this legacy. So I will in some way or other. And it's just lost hours beating myself over the head of, you know, not getting the work done. Yeah. So you mentioned before that there was a period of time where you stopped writing because you said you wrote you used to write contemporary and romantic fiction and now you're doing historical. So would you mind telling us a little bit about what happened in your life that you, you know, took a break from writing for a bit? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, well, I think the last, I, I, I raised three children on my own and I was the, the breadwinner and everything. So it was a really, really tough period. And then around, I think in 2011, my youngest went to college and, um, I, I felt like, okay, my life is starting, you know, I still had a day job, but I, I took up playing the saxophone and I was, I was actually getting into writing a lot at the time. And um, yeah, feeling like, okay, the worst is the worst. I mean, the biggest part of my job is done. And then in 2012, my daughter fell ill 
and we didn't know what it was, but she was in hospital for a long time and it turned out to be a very vicious form of cancer. And um, she had a horrendous, horrendous um, illness. It was the worst. It was pure torture because it was in her liver and it was... Um, but she managed to sort of get through a very, very, very heavy operation after a long time because it took a long, long time to, to stabilise her liver enough to, to have the operation. Okay. So because it was actually what they call, um, it wasn't, but then it, it was the, 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 um, the duct ways of her. Okay, yeah. Anyway, but uh, she managed to come out of hospital for nine months and then it was back. And then it was, yeah, just, so that was, she passed away now almost eight years ago on the 15th of March, 2014. I was in hospital for two years, almost every day. And it was, yeah, a long way also, my job was very good I, because I was a translator, so I would just take my laptop and work in a hospital. And oh, um, of course, I was yeah, devastated and also trying to sort of get my two sons and her husband. Her, her husband was totally, he was, he was, yeah, he was a wreck. I cannot. So he was, um, and then three months later, my second son hadn't he fell and he came in hospital and he was diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor. So oh. we had no time to really mourn joy because I was in hospital again and he had to, to undergo treatments and um he came out a year later and his life hangs in the balance ever since. He has oh. to have a scan because it's a form of tumour that they can't really uh, heal. So we are really surprised because he's still here after seven years. But my in my life, the light went out. It, well, it went... Um, I had no desire to live anymore and that sort of manifested itself in drinking a lot, watching television and, um, yeah, just sitting it out. Why am I, I, why am I still here when my children, and what is this, you know, what is this? And, I mean, it started off with my, my dog being run over in 2012. And then in, in 2017, my sister and my mother passed away three months from each other and I also had to do all the stuff for them the, all the, okay. the 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 legal stuff everything and I was just and then how I got out of it was that I I don't know if you've ever heard of him but um I came across I think it was a YouTube video of Joe Dispenza okay. have you heard yeah. of him yeah, we've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I started doing his meditations and that really was a turning point. So on the 1st of August, 
2018, I quit alcohol. I haven't drunk since. I'm that type of person. I had an enormous fight um, with myself in 1984 to stop smoking. Really, really, it took me five months, but I haven't smoked since. I can do these things. I can, when I do it, I do it. I Even if the whole room is drunk around me, I don't want, I don't need any alcohol. So, but that is what dispenses um, they, it's the the wiring is is no longer there, so I have no longing for alcohol anymore. Right. Yeah, it, it's just not there, and I just don't touch it because it's not good for me. It can't. I mean, there is alcoholism in my family. My father was an alcoholic. My sister was an alcoholic. So it, it is. It runs in in the family, and I don't have a a, a bad life without alcohol. I have a fine life. So when I sort of in 2018, then I started to to live again and to realize that okay, I'm here, so I have to do something with my life. What shall it be? And that's when I said to myself, "Well, you wanted to write, but um, I wasn't sure because I know of my writer's block tendency, and I wasn't sure whether the writer's block." was because I tried to force myself into this idea that I was a writer and that uh, I therefore had to write, uh, but that it was actually on the surface of my my personality because I I thought I could make money with it or because um, other people that I admired wrote. So I said, okay, you think you want to write? you better find out. And as you hear, I don't do things by halves. So I said, you're not going to write. You can write in your journal, but you are not going to write any story. And I took, that was on the 1st of September because I also do things in date. And then I started cleaning my entire house, but decluttering it. And it was very hard because I came across a lot of things of my mom, my sister, my daughter. So I, I, it passed through my hands, everything, everything. And then by January, I had such an urge to write. No, nope, you can't write. We're not sure yet whether you want to write or not. You're not going to write. And then I did a short course with Becca Syme. Have you heard of her as well, perhaps? I don't think I have. She's the, the Better Faster Academy. She's all about the strengths. And uh, so the, the Clifton Strength. I, I had planned to do a three-week course with her in March. And that ran through, through to the third week of March. And then I started writing. I started writing in Piccadilly's Fields. And I haven't stopped since. I know you you hear me say I have days that I struggle with myself, but basically I have, because by then I knew that deep, 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 deep in my soul, I'm a writer. You're a writer. Yeah. That's why I'm here. No other reason. Well, that's excellent. Thank you for sharing that. It can be so difficult when we have life-changing events. And things that happen to us or to our family members that we don't have control over. And then what do we have? What do we have control over? And that can just feel so devastating to our souls, really. And I think yeah. it's hard to find that creativity when you're going through that. Yeah, it is. But also, 
for me the 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 most precious part of my life has been taken away from me mm-hmm. and as i said before writing makes me incredibly happy there's nothing that makes me happier but it is because i am i am traumatized and i am not I can't function as as everybody else. I mean, this is a life that I can lead, but it's a very, very, very secluded life. I see very few people. I, and I have no need for it as well, because I have a few very good friends. I have my children, and I'm. I might like. To, there is a slight urge coming now to start traveling. To, to okay. also, I mean, I did travel for, I do want to travel for research, but that is different because I do, it is planned to the minute what I'm going to do. There's nothing left to, to I don't want to, to have anything that is outside um, what I've planned. So as you say, because so, such traumatic, out of my hands things, I mean, to me, it felt like my hands were tied to my back and I could not act for the for the one person that I wanted to act for so much. I could do nothing. And um yeah, so so to see the light again, it's is something, it's as the, the roomy, you know, the, the the light comes in where the wound is. So I also say yeah. I live for two. I live for joy. I do this for joy. That is what spurs me on. And of course, also for my sons. But it is it is very much a fight for the light. And in that respect, the whole terrible World War II sort of is a good fit for me because it is everything is created out of that pain, out of that, that um cry for life so to say wow that's hmm. i i don't even i'm not even sure what to say that was no, no, well, I think that is, but the passion that you just had there is amazing that's i'm just yeah well i think that shines through in in your books in my books as well i mean that is i all i all the love i have i can pour into these words and into yeah. these characters you know and um try to make them come alive and um yeah well and I love that you made the decision like you said to not to live not only for yourself but for your daughter right I also feel very supported by her I mean I feel like she's because one of the things that is strange about it isn't true that I never was successful in my life but it is how I felt you know, I mean, I may have had a good job at the university and I have beautiful children, but I haven't had much good luck in my life. I don't come from a happy family. I don't have had happy relationships. So everything has always been a, a terrible struggle for survival. And I feel like, yeah, this sort of, and then it got worse. The last, the, the decade from from 2012 to 2018 was 
yeah, it's not a decade, but that period, that only six years was just horrific. It was just that you think, how is it possible that you that you have to? I mean, I I was at at, at the, the bedside of my daughter, my sister, my mother dying within three years. I had to do it all myself, by myself, you know, because the other people in the room were either 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 they were too confused or too. I had to help them, you know, get over the threshold. And I do that because I I I I I needed to do that for them to help them let go. But you totally don't think of yourself at the moment like that, you know, and to come back from such a situation where you have to do that and then have to to to, to make sure that everything is done afterwards as well, after they have passed. Yeah, I don't know. It was just... And now I'm in a totally different sphere where I can, where I have control of over most of what I do. I don't know how long it will last, but it, as long as it lasts, it's good. Well, I feel when I when I was just listening to you talking right now that you are, you really are your own heroine, because you like the girls that you write about, who are ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And when you said that you you weren't sure how you got through that, that there's a lot of times in our lives where where we're not sure how, and we just have to go minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. And it sounds like that's what you did and you got yourself through it and you are your own hero. You're just like the, the girls in your book because you're an, an, a quote unquote ordinary person that did something extraordinary because other people couldn't and you did it for them and you had to do that also for yourself. And even though you might have, you've struggled, you, like you said, you struggled with alcohol and then it ran in your family, but you're the one that chose then to do something different. You chose yeah. that you were not going to continue that way. And that's wonderful because a lot of people. Oh, I, I don't, don't see myself as a victim or anything, yes. you know, that yeah. is, that, that is, um, I take responsibility for for my own actions, but yeah. Well, this, one of the things that gets me through is that Joy said to me, my daughter said to me, not so long before she she passed away, "Mom, I don't know anyone who is as strong as you are." And she also meant it in what I did for her in the hospital. Not so much, but I I she said when you come into the room, everybody starts smiling, just nurses and I. Because I, I felt that like that was my my job, you know, to to make sure that to 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 to, to cheer them up, to, to sort of try and, and bring something to it. And yeah, it, it is true. Though when I struggle with my writer's block, I feel far from strong, far from strong. But I think that is always, I mean, you're always every person has strengths and and weaknesses you know and um and we don't always give ourselves enough credit either for doing the things that we do you know so uh, people will say something to you about how strong you are and you and for you you probably think well that's just me that's what i do but that's important like i could feel when you were talking about how you just felt like that your joy needed to be there 
And I'm really glad that for your own self, that you found your joy and your joy in writing and that you're doing these things for yourself because your joy needs to be shared with the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I do it in a, in a, in a circumspect way because my books are quite heavy. I mean, it's not that they are, but there is always a happy ending. I mean, that is important for me that, that it sort of, um, there is hope in them, but it is one of the main reasons I write about a horrific part in history. But there again, I will because one of the, my readers said, "I'm so glad you didn't write extensively about um, concentration camps or something." And I wouldn't. I even, I mean, there will be. I won't look away from torture or from mm-hmm. um, bad things that happen. But I, I still want to keep it at a level that it is doable for people. You know, I, I don't want to, to at least I hope that I have enough of an antenna to feel don't go too deep in that way, you know. Right. And still still stays true to the time and also your story. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's the problem because now I'm 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 going to write a, bo- a book about a period that is very well documented, and that loads lots of books have been written about it. So the um, secrets, um, the spies, the secret female spies that were dropped into France behind enemy lines, and that that's one of the reasons why I am struggling so much because so much went wrong. London really, really didn't pick up the signals that they were already, you know, captured and the Gestapo was just wiring with their wireless sets. They were just, you know, and so much went wrong. And I don't want to look away from it, but I still want to make it a heroic story because so I'm, I'm sort of struggling to bring in both aspects, you know, that it's still not just only heroic from the from the um allied side of something like that well i have no doubt that you will figure it out and (laughs) before we finish where can people i know you're on instagram and by the way i love seeing the pictures of your walks earlier in the podcast you mentioned that you go for walks every day and i've seen some pictures i love looking at those pictures because my dream is to travel to europe one day and especially to go to Holland, <laughs> because I would love to see, because the pictures you take are breathtaking. So okay, I have to figure it out. <laughs> well, you will have to come quickly because I'm planning on moving to Ireland. Oh, okay. Well, well maybe retire. I'll go there too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to retire to Ireland. Oh, very and, nice. Um, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm still figuring it out. But my youngest son and his girlfriend, they have for a long time said that they want to emigrate. And um, I'd, I want to really be in an English-speaking surroundings. And it would be more logical to go, go to the UK, but with Brexit, it's a bit difficult. I mean, Ireland is in the European Union and, you know, with my pension and everything, it's easier to, to, and I I love Ireland. I've I've travelled extensively there. I have 8% Irish blood, so it it will be fine. So you have to be quickly because I, I'm, (laughs) I, I like Holland, but I've seen this postcard, post-stamp country for long enough. I was just here for the work. 
Yeah. And the kids, of course, but. Um, well, I'm, I'm willing to go to Ireland too. So, <laughs> <laughs> but so they can find you on Instagram as Hannah Byron, correct? Yeah. And then also it's, your it's website? not really my largest platform, but uh, okay. yeah, they can, I think best is go to my website. Right. Okay. HannahByron.com. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I'll put that in the podcast details as well. So thank you very much for coming to sit with me and talk today. This was wonderful to get to know you better, hear about your life and your books. It's, this is great. I'm going to be sad when I have to turn the camera off and not, not see you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I hope it was interesting for um, the uh, listeners and thank you so much for having me and um, for letting me blab on about (laughs) no problem this was this was very wonderful so thank you so much for being our guest today thank you thank you for joining us today on the open door we enjoyed our discussion and hope you did too until next time we are kelly and kelly